morning to everybody. Good morning. <laughs> so weak. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All right. Good morning. My name is Pastor D. If you don't know who I am, um, just want to welcome you to Connect. We're, um, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Everybody doing good? Wasn't worship amazing? Yeah. I tell you what, we are so blessed. Um, our church is so blessed in that particular way. Um, quick, first of all, Patriots today. Let's get it all out. Come on. Is everybody excited? Let's go. Let's go. Okay. I feel the testosterone slowly starting to build. By about 3 o'clock, I'll be punching walls and eating buffalo wings. Um, chest bumping my wife at 5. She'll be in the hospital by 7. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what happened last week. She, uh, she made it to second service. Um, anyway, um, another thing I want to just tell you real quick, just to the, while the church is here, uh, I want to encourage you to go to our Facebook. If you haven't seen, how many of you have seen our No Excuse Sunday event on Facebook? Raise your hand. Good night, good night, good. All right, a lot of you. If you would, if you would go to our Facebook, first of all, you can just like our own Facebook if you haven't been there before, but go to the No Excuse Sunday event, um, basically February 1st. We're just trying to get everybody in church on February 1st. There's a statistic that says about 40% of your church is at church any given Sunday, and I just want to see if that's true. Um, no, that's not the only reason, but I have some things that I want to say and share with you that are related to the the vision and future of our church. I also want to gather some information so that we can be uh, successful in uh, strategizing and preparing for the future. And um, there's some other things related to pastoral care so we can help you on your journey and do a good job with that. So there's just a kind of a special segment, but I need, I need you all there. And so I'm just, I'm, we're calling it No Excuse Sunday. Like, do everything you can just one Sunday of the year to be there. And uh, can you help me with that? Yep. Can you just like pray about being there? Like, don't even pray about it. Just do it. Like, just put it in your calendar, your iPhone, whatever. Talk to Siri right now if you want to. Uh, get it in there. And if you go to the No Event page, join. And then what else you can do is you can go on and invite friends through that event. So you just go right in there. You'll see how to do it inside the event. And uh, you may know somebody that you've invited to church before. They've been here once or been a long time. And so whether you're on the fringe, you're a frequent flyer, or you're a family member, we want to see you all on No Excuse Sunday, which is February 1st, coming right up. Amen? I'm going to get right into our series today. If you want, you can get your worship guides out and follow along with us. That's there to help you navigate the service and kind of know what's, what's the topic today. Um, also, uh, you can follow along on version on your either iPad or iPhone or whatever, or, and you just go to live event and just put our zip code or our church name in, and then the worship guide's in there. It's got even more material than you can have in your hand, and you can email yourself and all that stuff, so it's a great resource for you. How many were here last week? By a show of hands, you were here last week? Okay, good. So you all came back, so I didn't scare everybody. You all came back. That's good. Um, let me, let me try to introduce this. If you're here for the first time, we've prayed for you. Um, we're in a series called Under the Influence. Um, and basically, I shared with you, you know, a bunch of different things last week. If you, have, you weren't here last week, I really want to just encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Kind of foundational to the rest of the series. And it just kind of, it really was. It was foundational to kind of what we're going to keep talking about over the next several weeks. Um, but the, the idea is that many of us, um, this, is, this is like a pastoral series. So in the first part of the year, I felt like God was just saying, you know, you need to pastor the people. So I have, I have an, uh, there's, Ephesians talks about fivefold ministry or offices that leaders have. And so the primary ones for me are pastor, evangelist. So I like to see people connect to God that are disconnected. Fundamentally, that's like one of my priority 
you know, passions is I don't consider myself a religious person, but a person who just loves God and wants to make God known and help people connect to a life-giving relationship with him, not a life-taking one. Help them realize that the most important relationship in their life is to be connected with Jesus Christ. Amen? That, that, that office has a, a side of it that sometimes is overly sensitive to what people are going to think and all that kind of stuff. The pastor side's over here going, people got problems. People got issues. Right? We all got issues, right? Y'all got issues. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got issues. Turn to your second choice say, you do too, man. I was scared to look at you. And if you don't think you got issues, come on, everybody. That's your issue. Okay. All right. So we got issues. So the pastor and the evangelist collide once in a while. And the pastor saying, listen, you got to tell some people some of the realities of what it means to be a Christ follower in this world. Because a lot of people that don't know Christ are looking at Christians and saying, what's the diff? I don't, what? Okay, you got fire insurance or whatever that whole thing is. But when I look at your life and I look at my life, like my life's good. Your life's what? You know? So Christians aren't walking in victory. They don't have victorious Christian living. We're called to be, and we learned in the last series, Hope, what it means to be an overcomer. We're not living the overcoming life. We're just, I mean, we're just like that guy at the end of, you know, the land of Lilliput. You know what I mean? That guy that we're doomed. We're not going to make it. <laughs> Gulliver's Travels? No? Anybody? Yes? No? Bueller? Um, so... That, that's important that we learn to have victory in this Christian, this Christian world that we're living here today. We're supposed to be an influence on the world, not influenced by it. We're, but there are external influences, and what I submit to you is there are these spiritual forces at work that are opposing us. And fundamentally, there's an enemy, an adversary, that is, that is wanting to kill, steal, and destroy your life. He wants to torment you. In John 8, 36, which is kind of the theme text, that says, he whom the Son makes free is free indeed, right? Makes is referencing the process or journey of kind of growth. Our hearts change like in an instant in the presence of God. Our hearts change, you know, because of the decision we make to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that regeneration by the Holy Spirit, just like that. But our life is changed over time. It's a process. And during that life, there's an enemy that's, with, that's right alongside you trying to stop you and impede your progress. And so like a car that's going down the road, somebody it, it, behind that wheel has got an OUI going on. They're operating under the influence many times. And you can tell. And though the, you know, we have this journey and destination defined, I know that for when I draw my last breath, I'm going to be in heaven. And that's okay. In the life that we live in right now, we're not getting to the purpose and plan of God. Our, our, our journey, our drive is being influenced by external forces. Does that make sense? And it's, 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 it's obvious to some people, sometimes not us in the middle of it, that we're operating under the influence of something. Something is trying to control us. Something is trying to master us. And we understand it when we think about alcohol, but we don't always understand it when we're thinking about our drugs or something like that. But we don't always understand it when we talk about spirits, fallen angels, demonic strongholds, disembodied spirits, demons. Everybody, let's get it out of the way. Everybody say demon. demon. All right. Some of you think your kids are demons, and, uh, you know, that's why you put them downstairs and come up here to get prayer. So hopefully we get them delivered before you get, down, get back downstairs again. So we want to help people get delivered, you know, but the thing is, what are we talking about? Last week we talked about that, that um, you know, three things. I gave you three things. That, that demons are real. 
They're fallen angels. One third of all the angels fell, and there was there there was there was a prideful, you know, reaction to uh, Lucifer. Lucifer had a prideful response to who he thought he was, and he got thrown. And he took one third of the angels with him, and they, it, like lightning, they fell from heaven to the earth. And those those fallen angels are otherwise sometimes known as disembodied spirits. They're not only real, but they do enter people. And we read from Mark chapter five. Now they don't possess in the sense that we think possess ownership. But possess, and we broke down that word in the Greek because sometimes it's misunderstood. So not in all instances is it possess own, but in many instances, particularly in, in, with believers, it's master, come under the control of, come under the influence of. That demonic forces can try to influence us and if possible, control and master our lives. And we gave you a ton of examples last week on how that happens. And then the third point is, yes, they're real. Yes, they enter people, but Jesus really casts them out. Amen? And so that we have authority in the name of Jesus to be able to confront these spiritual forces at work in our life. You say, I can't believe I'm coming to this church and I'm going to be talking about this kind of stuff. Here's my position on that. I was just like you. I was like, yeah, we don't talk about that on Sunday mornings. I've been pastoring for, you know, uh, over a decade as a senior pastor, been in ministry over two decades, and it's not something that I was ever comfortable with. Talk I talked to you about it privately in counseling, you know, in kind of private chambers or, you know, in a special venue, but Sunday morning, come on, come on, come on. But you know what, everybody? This is the pastor side of me. I look at the world today, and I see what's going on out there, and they have no qualm or quarrel with just confronting you with demonic influences all the time, messaging you through the media, through movies or whatever. Listen to some of the movies that are out there right now, or just recent, recent years. The Right, I don't know if you saw it. The Last Exorcism, Constantine, One, the second movie's coming out real soon. Drag Me to Hell. I can't talk about hell in church. I can't talk about the enemy, but we, we can go to movies and pay for it. Yes. And people can come here and don't pay a dime. Anyway, I'm sorry about that. I just said <laughs> to get it off my chest. <laughs> Didn't mean that. I was in a movie with my wife just the other day. We watched a movie, and the, the main thing that they were promoting was the Lazarus Effect, this new movie where they're kind of playing, toying with death, and they were trying to, dogs died, and bring them back to life. Then, they, then somebody had an accident, and a girl died, and then they decide to bring her back to life. When they brought her back to life, she was demon-possessed. I kid you not, that's the premise of the movie, is a demon-possessed woman. So, so we live in a world that's preoccupied with the paranormal, with spirit world, particularly demons and fallen angels and things like that. And they're overexposing us, and, I'm, and I want to submit to you, undereducating you. Overexposing and undereducating. There's all kinds of mixture and foolishness and, 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 and a lot of things that are simply not true. And it's filling and flooding our minds continuously with stuff that's deceiving us, with realities of the spirit world, and in particular, again, demons. So um, I'm, I'm here to give you a biblical worldview on it over the next few weeks, and in particular to help you not just know the truth about it, but to know the truth so that you're free. So that you can walk in freedom as a Christ follower, amen? Here's some, I just, this is bonus material. Here's some books that opened my eyes to this subject. So if you want to dig a little bit further, I'm obviously giving you tons and tons of scripture. You're going to get a lot of Old Testament stuff you wouldn't even see, maybe on your own. But here's some books. I read this book called Pigs. I'm going to talk really fast. So you got to just be like, I gotcha. You know, just pray for interpretation. One of the books I read many years ago was called Pigs in the Parlor. Anybody ever heard of Pigs in the Parlor? Yeah. All right, it's referring, to, it's referring to demons. There was another one called Piercing the Darkness or This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Sold millions and millions and millions of copies. Uh, this Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness. Very interesting book. The young generation would love this book. Came out in the late 90s. Another one from a well-renowned uh, theologian, very respected theologian. His name is C.S. Lewis. 
This is one of my favorites of all time called the Screw Tape Letters. Anybody ever read the Screw Tape Letters? Raise your hand. I think that's a fundamental or foundational book for, for Christians, honestly. So readers are leaders. You guys want to be well-informed. Um, these are books that you could pursue. Um, but I want to talk to you from two key texts this morning. One is Acts chapter 13, and the other one is Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. Habakkuk, if you're from the South. Habakkuk. All right. My wife goes, that's right. That's right. Some of us don't know where Habakkuk is. That's okay. You know, if you've got a Bible, you, you get to Matthew. Some of you are like, oh, I got my iPad. I can just go H-A-B, baby. I'm there. Psh. But you go Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. I think you back up five books, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, okay? Anyway, um, these will be kind of the two texts that will camp on the most, specifically Habakkuk. When I woke up this morning, though, I want to say something to you. I woke up this morning... And the overwhelming feeling that I got, actually I woke up a couple of times this morning, uh, was that, that the devil's mad. And my first response was, good. You know? So, you know why? Because he's getting caught. He's getting exposed. The people that have been blinded, people that have been kind of duped, people that haven't seen really what's going on are seeing it. And he's mad. He's really, really mad. I could tell you a lot of stories today about how the enemy has tried to thwart the plan of God with even this series, but it's uh, too much for this morning. But I think it's so critical that you be here each week. Please, 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 if you call this your home, if you, if you trust God, if you trust our church, you trust me, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, this is your year of freedom. You, 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 can, you can experience a new level of freedom that maybe you've never had before. I, I pray that for you. So we're going to talk about the big bad wolf and some of his little followers. And, and, and just this, that's just one of the perils I'll talk about. But particularly, I want to talk about this Old Testament people group that we don't really understand or knew all about. And that's called the Chaldeans. Everybody say the Chaldeans. All right, so Acts 13 references the Chaldeans in just a second, but Paul, in this particular chapter, he's, he's in uh, the church at Antioch, which was just an awesome missionary church, New Testament church. That's where Paul and Barnabas, for those of you who are interested, was sent out, and Paul preaches this incredible message about Jesus and, and, and you know, salvation. At the end of this particular text, this message that he preaches, he gives this caution, this big caution to the church. So I preface this message by saying some of this message has a caution. It has like a, like a big beware sign, okay? It's not to scare you. It's not to make you afraid, but to make you aware, okay? Doesn't say, he didn't say be afraid. He said be aware, okay? Be aware. So that's what a lot of this message is, is to make you aware. Is everybody tracking with me, yes or no? Okay, so Acts 13, 40 says, Beware, Paul speaking, beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. I'm going to reference what the prophet said in just a minute. Behold, you despisers, you marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you would by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So he's referencing God becoming a man, Jesus, and that guy, Jesus, the Son of God, died for you. That's salvation. But then he's saying that you're not going to believe this even if someone were to tell you. Isn't that common, you know? That, that kind of happens. But he gives them a reason why they won't believe, and it's found in the words of the prophets spoken in Habakkuk. So this chapter in Acts is referencing, referencing a, a prophecy from Habakkuk, if everybody's still tracking me. And what he's telling us in that Old Testament text is that there's an enemy out there who's trying to blind Christians, followers of God. 
Still up for the snack, everybody? Still paying attention, okay? So now I'm going to read Habakkuk to you, and you're going to see the same first part of it is the same portion of text as we saw in Acts. Habakkuk 1.5 says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. That was referencing what was going to happen. In Acts, it did happen, and they still had trouble believing. So before we read verse 6, let me just tell you this. The Chaldeans, this is this Old Testament people group he's about to speak of, the, the old, they were a people group for a season, but later on they were known or whenever they were referenced, they were referencing demons. So whenever you see in this message the word Chaldean, it is synonymous with demonic or demons or fallen angels, okay? And so Chaldeans in the Old Testament were the enemies that came against the people of God, types Let's just say types and shadows, again, from the Old Testament. There are always these things in the Old Testament that make sense in the New. My daddy taught me this. I also learned this in seminary, that you know, Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed. Old Testament contained, New Testament explained. Types and shadows, there's these things. Last week I talked about scorpions and, and snakes and things like that. And, and, and I wasn't talking just about bugs, all right? This, those, those were types and shadows. They were referencing spirits. Fallen spirits, d demons. So when you see those things in the Bible, sometimes there's a meaning behind those and God's wanting us to be able to learn about what those are. I'm trying to do that with you now. Watch, what close, watch closely what happens in this next verse with the Chaldeans and see how it relates to demonic spirits. Verse six, you guys following? For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. What is the motivation and occupation of a Chaldean? To possess dwelling places that are not theirs. That's what demons do. They're disembodied spirits who desire to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Okay? They, that's what they are. That's what they're trying to do. Possess, again, doesn't always mean ownership. It just means under the influence of. And here's, here's what's going on. And I hope you hear me before you, know, you, 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 you dismiss anything. In that day, Paul was speaking. He's saying, beware lest... Uh, it come on you like it, did the, like it did them in the past. If we could talk to the skeptics, for example, of that day, they would have said, Paul, listen, um, you're, you're, you've lost your mind because there, there aren't any more Chaldeans. There aren't Chaldeans anymore. At that particular time, physically, that, that's correct. The Chaldeans actually were destroyed in 539 BC. I did my background check on all this stuff. In fact, it's referenced in Jeremiah chapter 50, 50, verse 15 and following. God destroyed the Chaldeans. But prior to that, they were kind of this undefeated people group. They went on and on, plaguing the people of God over and over and over again. They, they were... After this time, they were never referenced or referred to as an ethnicity, a nation, whatever. They were just completely wiped off the planet, basically. So Paul says to these Christians, beware, beware. He's not saying beware of the people group. He's saying beware of the Chaldeans. He's referring to demons. He's referring to demons. He was talking about demons. In the same way that skeptics could be there during that day, I would say, uh, regarding the Chaldeans, for example, I would say that there are skeptics today. There may even be people here this morning or here last week and just say, can you believe the series of PD is talking about? Can you believe he's talking about this subject? There, there aren't demons anymore. There might have been demons back in the New Testament, but they're not relevant to today. He's gone crazy. Does anyone, I think people think that. There's no big bad wolf. Come on. 
And these, I'm just telling you that that's exactly what the enemy is trying to do is to blind us to the truth because these spirits, these angels are trying to master or influence our life. They're trying to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And the dwelling place is right here, the temple of God. You're a spiritual house. Let me show you some characteristics of Chaldeans as you go forward, or we could easily say demons, okay? Here's characteristics of demons or Chaldeans. Number one, I'm going to give you three points. They're thieves. Everybody say thieves. thieves. Now, we know John 10.10 10 says that Satan goes around to kill, steal, and destroy. Steal, you know, thief. He's a thief. And we, we need to understand that about him. But many times the Bible, when he's referring to Satan, when the Bible's referring to Satan, he's referring to, the Bible's referring to, excuse me, the work of Satan. Not Satan necessarily specifically or Satan himself because, this is important for you to know, Satan is not omnipresent. He, he can only be in a certain location, a certain place and time. Why? God is omnipresent. In fact, some of his attributes are very clear. He's omnipresent. That means he can be everywhere at the same time. He's, he's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. But Satan is not. So Satan can only be in one location at a time. In fact, when he tempted Jesus in Luke chapter 4, you can look it up, or Matthew chapter 4, there's these three temptations that Satan uh, tempted Jesus with, that wasn't the work of Satan. In that case, it was Satan himself because Jesus merited the individual uh, attention of Satan. Do you guys tracking with me on that? So sometimes people say, Satan's attacking me, Satan's attacking me. Uh, Satan ain't attacking you, buddy. Let me just tell you something. You don't merit Satan's personal attention. That's funnier than you realize. You know what I mean? So, so no, he sent probably one of his, one of his fallen followers... To, to, to deal with the situation or to deal with you in those situations. Jesus said it this way. One time there was a woman with a spirit of infirmity, and uh, he basically said, shouldn't she be loosed from whom Satan hath bound? He, Jesus was not referencing personally that Satan had bound this woman. He was, say, he was basically, it's the work of Satan. One of Satan's minions had bound this particular woman, which suggests that Satan, of course, yes, he's not omnipresent. Yes, he can only be certain where, a certain place on location, but it also it's telling us he's got a whole bunch of followers and a whole bunch of, he's got an army that he can send and plague people with all over the earth. Is everybody tracking? So, when the Bible talks about that, he talks about the work of Satan. Psalm 83, verse 1 through 4 says, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Again, we're talking about these demons. And do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies, this is what they're like, they make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They've taken, they have taken crafty counsel against your people. Listen, last week, I can't remember all the details of who, but you have to come to me if you're in this service, but somebody shared a vision that they had with me that they had last week. And this may sound a little crazy to you, but I think it's pretty, pretty amazing, personally. But they had a vision last week, and basically they saw, uh, they, they, were like, they were allowed to view like a board meeting. There was this big round table, and all these... Uh, almost like, you know, superheroes, but the, the bad ones, the bad guys, all these crazy costumes, and they were all dressed around this big round table, and they were laughing, and they were planning, and they were plotting, and they were scheming the demise of people, and people groups, and organizations, and it was just this big, and basically, he said, I saw a demonic board meeting. They were crafty. They'd taken crafty counsel against your people. So when I read this, I thought, oh, there's, that's, that's what it could be happening in other places. See, we don't see, we only... We only see the temporal and the temporary, but God wants us to be focused not only of our destination, where we're ultimately going to be, but in the here and now, on the eternal, on the spirit world. 
You may not realize this, but you're actually a spiritual being having a human experience. In other words, you're going to live somewhere forever. You just have to choose where it's going to be. But we're all spiritual beings having an eternal, have, excuse me, spiritual beings having a human experience. I'm blowing some people's minds right now. All right. <laughs> Verse 12 says, who let us take ourselves the houses of God in possession. You need to know, this is what you need to know. If you're a Christ follower, you consider, you consider, you're a, you consider yourself a believer. You need to know that, that these Chaldeans, these demons, they're coming after you. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm trying to make you aware. They're not coming after people who don't believe in God. They already have. That's all, they, they got all that. They got that in the bag. They're going after you. Why? Because they're going after you because they know if they can keep you defeated, the world will look at the church of Jesus Christ and just say, why do I want what you guys got? I don't need that. It's not helping you. Why do I need it myself? So the enemy wants to just keep us defeated, not living in victory, not being free so that we can't change our world and, for, and fulfill the plan of God. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. But we look hopeless sometimes because the enemy, the Chaldeans, the demonic influences of this world have got us in bondage. And so you need to know that they're up, what we're up against. I was reading a book in my office, the Exhaustive Dictionary of Bible Names, and it said this about Chaldeans. And I was like, whew, I, I thought I would, maybe I was a little out on the edge there, but it says Chaldeans, as it were, demons, the root word is to lay waste. That's their goal. To destroy. Another actual word for Chaldeans was their wanderers. So then I looked up another scripture. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 and 45. Look, look at what Jesus says about demons. He says, this is, this is powerful. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, that means it could have been in them, it wanders. So there's that Chaldean term there for wanderer. It wanders through waterless regions, dry places, looking for a resting place, but it finds none. So this is what it says, the demon. I will return to my house, the house that I had possession, influence, control, mastery of, or you could say houses, from which I came. So I came out of this demon, out of this person, excuse me, went out into waterless places, dry places, couldn't find a place to rest couldn't find a place to, to, to encroach or to, to create a stronghold. There was nothing. So you know what? I'm going to go back to the place that I came from, see if there's still an opening there for me. When it comes, look at these, these next three things are really important about this house reference. And Jesus is talking, by the way, in this particular verse, it says, when it comes back, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes along Seven and bring seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and live there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be also with this evil generation. First of all, notice that a, that a demon um, can come back in this verse. Oh, I hate that point because when a demon comes back, this is what happens a lot of times. It finds the house uh, empty, you know, uh, clean. Excuse me, empty, clean, swept, put in order. Empty, clean, swept, and put in order. Now, here's the thing. Swept and clean and disorderly, we're good at that sometimes. In other words, Christians, sometimes we get saved. We get on fire for God. We realize, you know, we need him. We start, you know, uh, doing the right things. Maybe we get baptized. Woo! We get baptized. We go public. This is what happens a lot of times when people get baptized. Bam! Right after that, they get hit by the devil. Do you know how many times I've seen that happen? I can't count how many times I've seen that happen. You know why? Because, oh, I'm getting things in order. I'm getting things clean. I got to do the right stuff. But you're still empty. 
The demon came back and it found the house empty. What does that mean? It means you got to fill yourself up. What do you fill yourself up with? You got to fill yourself up with the word of God because when the devil came to tempt Jesus in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, he wasn't empty. He was filled with the word. He could, boom, it is written. Boom, it is written. Boom, it is written. He could defeat his enemy on the spot. He didn't bite the bread. He didn't bite the temptation because he was filled. And many Christians fall because they're not filled. You got to be filled with God's word. You got to be filled with God's spirit. And so you can't just come to church live on the fray and on the fringe you got to get in the fold you got to be you got to feed yourself get strong in the lord and the power of his might you got to understand that we, we don't just pray we got to do spiritual warfare where we understand there's an enemy that opposes us and we need to get the word in us so strong that we have weapons to fight the enemy when he hurls his temptations at us in all different directions amen a lot of people fall because their house is not filled i see it all the time I think of people right now in my mind who I loved, who were in this church, and they, they grew up here. They came to Christ here. This is the pastor part right now. They came to Christ here. They gave their heart to Jesus. Maybe their, their spouse also did the same thing, their kids. I've seen whole families get baptized, and, they're, and, and, and they go back into the bondage that they're in, and they're worse than they were before. Some of you know people just like that. Some of you might be on the edge of something like that, and you need to hear and heed what I'm telling you today. I beg you. The Chaldeans are wanderers. They were a very small nation, actually, about the size of New Jersey, about 40 miles in either direction. And here's the thing about them. They were never conquered until God was done with them. Sometimes God, and this is hard for people to understand, and we'll unpack this more, but, but God can sometimes use bondage to bring people back to himself. God sometimes used the enemy. Just read the Old Testament and you'll see how sometimes he used the enemy to bring the people of God back to himself. He could even use demons, believe it or not. They're all under his control. Nothing is, you say, wait a second, you know, a demon, the Satan can't even be in the presence of God. Well, first of all, God is omnipresent, so that means they couldn't even survive. So, well, I mean, well, I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. Well, the Bible says that Satan's up in heaven and he's accusing the brethren day and night at the throne of God. So we sometimes, our theology is messed up, and so we assume certain things and presume certain things that are simply not true. God is not <laughs> surprised, you know, by some of these things. Sometimes he doesn't cause them, but he'll use them. But it, it, it's, it's time for us today to realize that many of us are self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-absorbed, and it leads us down a dangerous path, and we often don't think we need God until we're hurting so much we have to call out to him. And that's what happened in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And sometimes these, these demonic influences that we're under, God is not causing them, but he's leveraging them to say, hey, 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 wake up. This is not where you just got to put a little bit more time in at the job. This is not something you can deny and just sleep away. This is something you need to face. And you need to learn how to fill yourself up so you can fight the enemy. And the Chaldeans, they took over Babylon years ago. And when you read about it, there was this guy that rose up. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody remember Nebuchadnezzar? If you don't know him from the Bible, you probably know him from Veggie Tales. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Nebby, Nebby. You know, and then he got, remember the three Hebrews, Rakshak and Benny, you know what I mean? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, those were Chaldean names that were given to them when the people group was alive and well. Nebuchadnezzar, 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 he built that 90-foot graven image of himself. But 
Remember, you can learn from these Old Testament examples what are the strategies, what are the, what are the um, motivations, what are the plans of the enemy. So Nebuchadnezzar, these Chaldeans, you can learn from that. Daniel 1, in your notes, verse 1 through 5, it says this. In the third year of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel. Check this out, guys. Here's the next generation. So there's two things that the enemy wants to take from the church of Jesus Christ. Number one, the silver and the gold, or the, or the treasure, or the tithe. Pay attention. And he wants to take the next generation. This is what the enemy is up to. If he could, just tell you how evil he is, just like he did when Jesus was prior to his birth, the enemy would kill every innocent child and pierce him through if he could, before he was born, or at birth, if he could. That's how evil the devil is. The devil hates the next generation. And churches all over the United States and all over the world are just looking at the next generation just like an afterthought. They're just a problem. They're just, you know, they're just a mess. They're just going, they're going to hell in a handbag. We, they're lost. They're a lost generation. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ needs to pay attention to the next generation and be able to invest in the next generation, which, by the way, takes money. A lot of the, a lot of the reasons we do church the way we do isn't because it's my preference. It's because it's about the next generation and reaching them. Can I have a better amen from somebody out there? You understand? It's about reaching, okay, and going forward. So, so one of the plot employs and, and schemes of the enemy is to take the treasure and take the next generation. So he says this. He says, um, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, look at this, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, I probably would have been taken. <laughs> I don't think that would be so funny. Gifted in all wisdom. I mean, come on. Uh, possessing knowledge, quick to understand. These are all next gener generation leaders who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach, listen, the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The goal of the enemy is to brainwash the next generation, to give them a worldview that comes from him, not a biblical worldview. That's why it is so important that we make sure to be faithful to what is God's. One of the ways the enemy always tries to get people off track, the pride of life, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. This is, I might do a whole message on these things. These are open doors to the enemy, okay? And so he'll try to get in there and, and he'll try to get people to, to what, what kind of goes in their mind, what kind of goes in their eyes, and what are the things they take that belong to God. That's one of the ways that he kind of distorts our reality and takes us away from the purpose and plan of God. And, um, and it's terrible the destruction that it can cause when that happens. Even, let me just say this about the tithe, just quickly, and so you, some of you are going to think I'm trying to get you to do something, but I'm actually trying to protect you from something. If you don't tithe, that's an open door to the enemy. I'm just telling you that. It, because the pride of life, it takes pride. Some people are not tithing because they're afraid, or they don't trust. Sometimes you don't trust the environment that you're in, so you don't give there, but you don't give anyplace else, so it's probably not that. We don't do it because we just don't know what the Bible has to say about it, so it could be ignorance. But in most cases, or in an ultimate sense, it's usually pride. In other words, pride, or it's an arrogance, it's saying, I can do it my way, my way is better than God's way. When God already established what his way was, for you to be blessed. So it's a form of pride. When that happens, it's an open door to the enemy to be attacked. Here's what I've experienced. When I'm under attack, I'm able to say with boldness and confidence before God, God, I'm a tither. If the Bible says if, we have con if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have 
confidence before God. But when my heart condemns me, I don't. So I want to make sure I'm doing everything God's way. One of those things is the tithe, and I'm just telling you. And here's, here's another way that I can show you the spiritual implications. In Malachi 3, it won't take you there right now, but it basically says that he, if you tithe, you, he, God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Who's the devourer? That's a spirit that's coming in to try to steal, kill, and destroy your provision. Oh, then people don't like this point. That's okay. I'm just trying to help you out here. There's just different ways that we can be under the attack and influence of the enemy. Amen? All right. So number one, they're thieves. Number two, they're vicious. Everybody say vicious. You need to know that, that Satan never has a good day. He never has a merciful moment. Habakkuk 1, 7 through 9 says they're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. They're proud. Their horses are also swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Remember that word, evening wolves. Their charges charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle. I always think of a song when I read that. They, that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. Now, I wish I could talk about all the animal references and how it relates to us today. You know, the leopard and, and the eagle and things like that. But I do want to talk about the wolf or, the, or wolves here. Um, Ezekiel 22.7 says, another reference to the wolves, it says, her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. There's those three, three open doors, pride of life, lust of the flesh, and lust of the eye, right in that verse. Zephaniah 3.3 says, her princes in the midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. There's that evening wolves again that leave not a bone till morning. Let me fill you in on this verse in, in, in just a second. But basically, this means that demons feed at night. Let me, let me modernize that for you, okay? Have you ever noticed when you wake up in the middle of the night, that is when your thoughts sometimes are awful and sometimes even evil? Have you, ever, have you woke up in the middle of the night and sometimes you're, you're tormented by something? You start remembering some kind of problem, some kind, some kind of a breach in relationship, some kind of bitter root towards somebody, some kind of, some kind of a issue with another person? Is anybody, is, am I telling the truth? Okay? Or maybe you wake up in the night and all of a sudden there, it could be nobody wants to raise their hand on this next one, so I'll just set you free from that. But it could, you, you have some kind of a lust, lust of the flesh, like you want to get up and you want to eat an entire refrigerator, or maybe you want to, you know what I mean? This is what happens. Spirit of gluttony, by the way, then come over. It's a spirit, though. I'm just telling you that right now. You went to bed. You had a meal. You're, you don't need it, okay? Or you have some kind of evil, you know, uh, thoughts and imagery that comes to your mind. And so then what happens? You, can, that spirit can lead you down a negative path. Before you know it, you're, you're in a place or in a, an environment or you're watching something you shouldn't watch. These often are demonic. The spirits feed at night, they feed when you're weak, when you're alone. And the best thing you can do is, again, get up, first, get on your knees and begin to pray and do spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about pray like, you know, God, thank you for this food which I'm about to eat. I'm talking about pray. <laughs> See, what I'm telling you and the reason I'm telling you is and some of you are falling asleep right now, it's because of demons too, by the way. I'll just tell you that right now. They don't want you to listen to what I'm saying because I'm not boring. <laughs> I'm serious. I'll jump out there and, oh, I'm just kidding. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this a while. I know how this works, okay? And I'm not saying it to be proud. I'm just saying it to keep you alive and alert, all right? But when you know your enemy, some people, I don't know how to pray. When you understand your enemy, you'll pray a lot better. Amen. You'll pray a lot better when you realize who your enemy is. When you know you're dying, you, some people pray the most amazing save me prayers on the planet. <laughs> Nobody had to tell them what to say. 
Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul says this, For I know this, that after my departure, Paul's saying, when I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Do you think he was talking about literal wolves, that when they left, they're going to go get wolf traps? I'm spitting everywhere. That means the anointing's here. (laughs) Front row's going to get blessed. (laughs) He wasn't talking about literal, (laughs) literal wolves. He's talking about demons, demons in the sh- that are attacking the sheepfold. I recently read this document about wolves, and it basically said this. It said, the Lord didn't teach us about predators to teach us about animal control or teach children fables. Wolves and sheep cannot coexist. This was a study that was done between these two uh, animals. It said, when wolves appear most casual and innocent, even interesting to watch, they're actually studying you and sizing you up for attack. The more indifferent they seem, the more serious the danger. They are often preparing for a pack attack. The more comfortable they appear, the more deadly they are at the moment. This this is the parallel that God's word is giving you and I about demonic influences in our life. They're like wolves. They're vicious. Vicious. Do you understand the parallel that I'm I'm pointing out to you guys right now? They watch and study people. They look for an opportune time to attack, to pounce. They always attack sheep that are on the fray. They realize that that if if there's a hole in the herd, they're going to try to get in there. They look for the sheep that's on the out. By the way, your sheep, say, I'm a sheep. Some of you are out out on the fray. You're You're not really plugged into the church of Jesus Christ. You're out there on the peripheral. As I like to say, I don't like to say it, it's just a way that I can help connect. You're on the fringe. Let me just tell you something. If you believe anything that I'm saying, and you're out there on the fringe, you're out there on the fray, and you're one of those kind of sheep, this is what you should do. You should be like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You got to get yourself in the middle. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Get down the middle of the road. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I got to sit in the middle of all this stinking sheepfold. That's where the say, get close to the shepherd. So high five somebody. You got to believe that that's going to help somebody out. You got to get not live on the fray. All right. Wolves attack in packs when they're howling. They're howling to call in uh, reinforcements. Again, Satan never has a merciful moment. He is constantly accusing the brethren day and night. When it rains with him, he pours it on. He pours it on. He's bad. He's really bad. The Chaldeans. This is another thing about demons. The Chaldeans were a great example of this. Chaldeans were expert archers. So in battle, they always wanted to fight in like floodlands or in marshes because when their enemy was coming against them, they'd be going through the marshes and their feet would get stuck in the mud and they had to focus on where they were going to be stepping. And so they were always, it was just such a drudgery to get through the marshes. And while they're focused on walking, that's when the Chaldeans, these excellent archers would pick them off, these snipers as it were. Great movie, I heard. But anyway, so they'd be picking them off. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's exactly what demons are like. They want to get you so focused on the drudgery of life. Oh, my gosh. You know, these kids are killing me. Oh, my gosh. I got to get a second job. Oh, my gosh. I'm sick. Oh, my gosh. I got to drive over here. I do. You're focused on the drudgery of life. You're not thinking about, you're looking at where your next step is instead of where you're going, what the plan and purpose of God is for your life. What's your destiny? What's ahead of you? You're not looking at the big picture. You're looking at your own little problems, lint picking, lick picking, lick picking. Like, oh my gosh, one more problem. Oh my gosh, there's another problem. It just never stops. It's just problems and problems. Oh my gosh. And you're not focused on a bigger problem that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to solve. And as a result, you're more easily picked off by the enemy. That's what the Chaldeans did. And that's what the demons are trying to do in your life. Amen. Number, amen. Praise the Lord. When you're trudging through life, that's when they'll shoot those arrows at you. So number one, they're thieves. Number two, they're vicious. Number three, they're cunning. They're cunning. Everybody say cunning. 
Chaldeans first in war, they didn't actually attack and just kind of come up and like, ha-ha, it's like the devil. The devil doesn't meet you at your front door with a pitchfork. I'm here to ruin your life. <laughs> Behold, I don't speak in King James anymore. No, the Chaldeans at first, when they were going into war, they become your friends. This was their kind of number one scheme. This is how they overcame as a small nation, as a small country. They overcame the most powerful nations in the world because they would infiltrate the people. They would break you down. We, we have a phrase we call it, we get culturally desensitized. Have you ever noticed this about yourself when you reflect upon your life that there was a time and a season, maybe a high in God or maybe when you were a young child where your morals and moorings, you thought this was wrong and then you crossed that line and what did you do? Instead of moving back to where the line was, you changed the line. You didn't change your behavior, you changed the line and moved your behavior to the new line. That's what these Chaldeans did with their enemies. They'd get in there and infiltrate and they'd offer you all kinds of things to distract you and, and to distort you and to try to you know, determine your future for you. All kinds of trickery that they would do and then they would seize you and take over your life. They were like squatters. Do you know what a squatter is? You know, sometimes you got to think of, think of a squatter. They're in your backyard, a part of your yard you don't really care about. It's where you dump your, your leaves and your brush and all that kind of stuff. And they're, they're back in the back part of your yard. You don't worry about that part of your yard. Before you know it, those squatters are in your shed. Before you know it, they're in the garage. Then they're in the spare room, but the door's closed. So we don't let anybody see in there. Before you know it, they're taking over your whole house. That's what these demons were like. That's what these Chaldeans did with their enemies. And they would take over and they would use all kinds of really sorcery and astrology and magicians back then. But really there's modern examples of that today. In Daniel 2.2 it says the king gave command to call the magicians, the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Here's some demonic influences that are out there today. Magicians. You know what a magician does? They distract you and they, to deceive you and to mislead you. Sleight of hand. While meanwhile, they're deceiving you completely. Sorcerers, they deceive you by spirits in order to tell your future. So they use, it's a long subject, but they use familiar spirits. And all those familiar spirits do is just study behavior and they come back and tell you things that's going on. Astrologers. They try to determine your future by using natural events that, 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 they, that you have no control over, stars and things like that, to tell you your future. The only person who should tell you your future and can is God. Amen. And you need to throw away some of that stuff and get away from, don't read your horoscope. That's just a bunch of, cro that's a crock of junk. Okay, you need to stay away from mediums and spiritists and fortune tellers. When you go by, you ought to curse those things in the name of Jesus and just pray that those things cease and desist and those things don't work anymore because they're deceiving people and they're under the influence, God, probably sweet people, but they're under the influence of familiar spirits that are helping them to do what they're doing to distort people's purpose and plan of God, distract, deceive, and determine their future. And that's the summary of these influences. They're trying to distract, deceive, and determine people's future. <laughs> Habakkuk says this, look at this. It says, they take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. This is what spirits do. He's talking about Chaldeans. Then he refers to men like fish. It says, why do you make men like fish of the sea? Like creeping things, they have no rule over them. They're basically saying this. This is what it's saying. It's saying, they find a bait that works for you and they dangle it in front of you at just the right time, just the right place. That's what, that's what Satan did with Jesus. So, so, so when Jesus went on his 40-day fast, the Satan didn't come on day one. He strategized and came on day 40 
the most opportune time. And he realized he'll probably be hungry. I'm going to appeal, appeal to the lust of the flesh, and I'm going to try to break him down. The most opportune time. Think about one of, the, one of my favorite biblical characters of all is David. King David, you know, David that killed Goliath become, later became king, you know. He was anointed, appointed at 13. He was king at 30. There was a long journey that he had to go through. But when he was king, he was a tender warrior. He was a mighty man of God. But there was a season, a time in his life where he, didn't, he wasn't doing what he was called to do. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, it basically talks about in a time and a season when kings go off to war, David stayed home. Shouldn't have stayed home. Should have kept doing what God called him to do, right? He was a, he was a man of blood. He was a warrior. And he stayed home, but then he developed this new pattern of going out every day, probably out on his porch, on his portico, and he'd look over his kingdom and he'd think, I think he thought, what am I doing here? I'm not supposed to be here. All my guys are out there fighting. Here I am back here. Maybe even got a little bit depressed. Maybe he got a little bit down. Couldn't sleep that well. He's out there. Let me tell you something. Demons are watching him every single day. They're plotting and planning, plotting and planning. While that's all going on, they're whispering in Bathsheba's ear, now would be a good time to take your sweet little butt and go out there and take a bath. Splish, splash. I think you ought to do it right about now. You can be sure that the enemy is always trying to take down the strong. And he'll do it at the most opportune time with the perfect bait. And it's usually in an area where you struggle and you don't have freedom. I'm saying this to myself and I'm saying this to all of you that are out there. That's how he works. That's how the enemy works. And when he didn't succeed with Jesus... The Bible says that Satan left him and he would return at a more opportune time. He's looking for the right time to do these kind of things. Ephesians 6 tells us this, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Everybody say wiles. This is referring to the Greek word there, methodoia, is referring to methods of the devil. He has a plan. He's a schemer. He's a plotter. He's a planner. He's a sniper. He's a sniper. And he's looking for this precise plan to be able to take you down. And he's waiting, and he's plotting, and he's watching like a wolf to take you down. And the world makes fun of him and makes light of him, but you've got to take him seriously. He's not just sitting on your shoulder saying, Johnny, I think you should steal that cookie. He's the real deal. Satan is not that thing on your shoulder. Satan's an enemy, and he has an entire army. The book of Joel tells us that they come sometimes like locusts, and they go in to destroy everything in their path. That's what they're up to, and they march in ranks, and they don't break ranks, and they know their marching orders. They know their purpose and plan. But, but, but we have authority over that enemy, but we won't have authority of an enemy that we don't understand, and we're not prepared to meet and confront. Amen. And there are thrones... And there are lordships and there are rulers and authorities and principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, evil and unclean spirits. He has an organizational structure. The devil is a good devil at what he does. He's not a good devil, but he's just good at what he does. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, he says this. He says, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. His goal is to wear you out, literally just burn you out, to make you so weary you can't even continue any longer. But here's the thing. I was praying about this for you guys just the other day. In fact, why don't you stand up if you don't mind? Ah, I'm done. This is my Moses staff. <laughs> when I was installed as a senior pastor, a sister uh, gave me this in Christ, gave me this, and it's got all these things personalized to me, but it's got a lot of scripture on it too. I just remember this, but I was reading um, yesterday, Psalm 23. It was at a, a funeral, and there's that particular verse that says, thy rod and thy staff comfort me, right? Remember that? Sometimes when we think about the rod, we just think that God is mad at us and he's always disciplining us and he's hitting us with the rod. To the extent that he used the rod, it was only just to pull sheep in from the fray 
into the fold. That's the only thing he did with that. He just said, like, come on, come on, come on, get in there, get in there. He was never hurting anybody with the rod. That rod and nice staff, they comfort me. Trying to put me in those right places, just pushing us back to where we're supposed to be. So when you look at the shepherd, I want you to look at the shepherd in the right way. The other side of the rod, this is the part I like. And I'm going to give you my paraphrase of it. But the rod is there to put the smack down on the devil. So the only, the only thing that was, the only body was getting beaten up was the devil. And you're protected. You know, the reality is in any study, you know, that's out there would say that, you know, sheep and wolves can't live together. With one exception. Unless there's a shepherd. Unless there's a shepherd. And we're, we live in a world where there's sheep and where there's wolves. That's why we need to run to the shepherd. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so you might be one of those people today that's been living on the fray. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I think 2015, I was telling the first service this, and I believe this with all my heart. I think we are given a special year of reprieve this year. This is a special year where people are going to have opportunity to get free, relationships restored, finance and provision restored. I think we're going to have some special visitations of God in 2015 that are inexplicable that we just don't even understand, miraculous intervention of God, and an opportunity to really get free. I think, I think, we've, got a, I think we've got a special year ahead of us, but we've got to run to the shepherd. We can't live on the fray anymore as sheep or we'll get picked off. Are you tracking with me out there, everybody? I want to pray for you. And this is, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down front right now. And this is what I want to say. A couple brief things. If you, if you have to go, I understand you have to go, but we're going to, just, we're going to pray for people and we're just going to take a moment and worship at the end of the service here. One of the things that, I, that I've been praying is that people get an opportunity to respond to the message. It's one thing to hear it and then you just kind of go right out to the world like, whoa, you know, it's crazy out there. I want to give you an opportunity to connect with the message. So you might need prayer for anything. By all means, come down to re receive prayer. But here's what specifically I want people to come pray. You might need prayer because you feel like you're under attack. The more that I talk about demonic influences that oppose us, the more that I talk about the enemy and how vicious and cunning and and the fact that he's a thief and that he's stealing, maybe from you, the more you realize, you know what? I'm under attack. I want you to feel the protection of the shepherd and of, of being a part of the fold and the family. And we want to pray for you that you'd be free from the enemy and that he no longer attack you. You come out from underneath that attack and you leave here an overcomer in Jesus' name. Because the circumstances won't change because you're going to work harder. The circumstances are going to change because you're going to cooperate with the work of God in your life. Amen? So I want to encourage you, don't be afraid. I don't care what's going on in your life. Come and receive prayer. If you're not going to be prayed for, I encourage you and I strongly urge you, don't watch. I want you to worship. Don't watch. Worship. Create an atmosphere so that your brothers and sisters who are receiving prayer can get free. Amen? I want you to close your eyes. Can you raise your hands just as a sign of surrender to God? We're going to invite the Holy Spirit in here right now. As soon as I'm done, you come and receive prayer and we'll worship. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus, but I also thank you that Jesus left and so that the Holy Spirit would come. And I pray right now the Holy Spirit would come into this upper room right now. I pray, God, for a special anointing to be present on your people. There are people here with all kinds of problems, all kinds of opposition. There, there's influences that oppose them on every corner. Relational issues, financial issues, physical issues, spiritual and emotional issues. I pray, Jesus, for an anointing that breaks every yoke. Would you pierce the darkness, Lord God, with your light? You came into the world with light. 
And I pray, Lord God, that you shed your light on our hearts and on our minds. Would you show us what is going on? I pray for the prayer team today that you give them discernment, God. You, you help them discern the spirits, the, the, that they see what is happening in the spirit realm, Lord God. And they speak to it with clarity and they speak to it with authority. I pray that every time people come into this uh, auditorium, into this upper room, that, Lord, they're changed more and more into your likeness, that we are taking back ground that the enemy has stolen and we are seeing people set free in Jesus name we claim God today as we worship you that we need you more than yesterday we're not going to live on yesterday's uh, bread on this morning's devotion on last week's message we want more of you God and as we worship you I pray for a more a hunger for more of God to come over your church in Jesus name and everybody said amen come on let's let's worship God amen amen come and receive prayers